This is Stacy Harbaugh and Marcus Slayton with your local news coming to you live from the WORT studios in downtown Madison. It's our summer pledge drive. Keep calling. Here's tonight's headlines. Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, one of the state's largest business groups, is threatening legal action against the Department of Natural Resources over proposed policy changes to protect surface water quality. The DNR has proposed the changes in order to match federal regulations under the Clean Water Act. Energy Policy Director for WMC Craig Sommerfeld said, quote, the proposed rule goes far beyond federal requirements. Wisconsin Public Radio is reporting that the group is considering litigation if the DNR doesn't heed comments from the WMC, the Wisconsin Dairy Alliance, and from other industry and farm groups. The agency's water quality specialist, Christy Minahan, said the state may be faced with complying with the Clean Water Act if the DNR doesn't pass the proposal. The EPA may replace the state's policy with the federal policy and may not provide an opportunity for review from industry. The DNR is set to submit final revisions to the Natural Resources Board on September 27th. The Dane County Board is taking up a resolution to make Dane County a sanctuary for transgender and non-binary individuals. District 16 Supervisor Rick Rose will introduce the measure. If the state of Wisconsin were to impose a law that penalizes receiving or helping someone get gender-affirming care, such as puberty blockers or surgery, the resolution would urge the county sheriff to make enforcing the law the lowest priority. The board will meet tonight at 7, and the resolution will be considered in the coming weeks. Urban Triage is celebrating the opening of its new youth drop-in center. The center will help 17 to 25-year-olds navigate housing, food assistance, and other essentials, reports NBC15. And the nonprofit seeks to decrease health disparities and empower communities through education. Outreach coordinator Jennifer Pryor says this age group needs support as many kids age out of foster care. The group also plans on opening another center for 17 to 24-year-olds with children this winter. A large apartment project proposed for East Washington Avenue was met with concerns among city officials this week, the Wisconsin State Journal reports. Bear development of Racine presented its preliminary plan for the 192-unit complex in the 3100 block of East Washington to the Urban Development Commission last night. Commission members questioned its proximity to a busy thoroughfare, lack of greenery, and limited surface parking. Bear emphasized that the plan is preliminary and the group invites feedback from commissioners. The anti-F35 environmental group, Safe Skies Clean Water Wisconsin, says that noise from the F-35 fighter jets based at nearby Truex Field will make the site incompatible for residential use. An air quality advisory is in effect for Dane County and some surrounding areas through 11 p.m. tonight. WKOW-TV reports. The orange advisory from the Department of Natural Resources is a response to elevated ozone levels. The DNR advises that people with lung disease, children, and other adults should avoid exertion outdoors. Other counties under the advisory include Columbia, Jefferson, Marquette, Juneau, Rock, and Sauk counties. 
1982, Wisconsin became the first state to ban discrimination based on sexual orientation. And in 2000, the city of Madison became the first community in the state to extend legal or equal opportunity legislation to prohibit discrimination based on gender identity. Decades later, LGBTQ people have become more normalized, but their rights are still under attack. That's why state and local leaders celebrated the raising of the pride flag above the state capitol today, a five-year tradition in the making. WORT reporter Faye Parks has the story. Evers' fifth year in office. It's also the fifth Pride Month in a row that the Pride flag has flown over the state capitol. For the second time, Governor Evers has chosen to feature the Progress Pride flag. In addition to the traditional rainbow, it has a chevron pattern representing people of color and the transgender community. Fittingly, the theme of the day was inclusion and positive change. Parents brought their children and members of the LGBTQ community came together to watch the raising of the flag. Celebratory music rang out until the event's official start. The sizable crowd welcomed each speaker with enthusiastic applause. State Senator Mark Spritzer and Secretary of Veterans Affairs James Vaughn kicked things off, both speaking about their experiences as gay government officials. Senator Spritzer began by shouting out his husband in the crowd. He says he's confident that Governor Evers will continue to use his veto power to protect the LGBTQ community against the state legislature's conservative majority. Secretary Bond shared his life story to emphasize that seeing other LGBTQ people living happily inspired him to come out. He says this newfound hope enabled him to build the family of his dreams with his husband. Becoming a father and raising our two sons is truly the greatest experience of my lifetime. With each passing day, my son's faces remind me of the responsibility we each have to be true to ourselves and by doing so, create the community in which we wish to live. Despite my earlier fears, I am able to live openly. I did get married, have children, and a successful career. Brooke Running, a school counselor in Mount Horeb, spoke emotionally about her experiences with students from diverse backgrounds. She says even the smallest gestures in the classroom can have a huge impact. I will never forget when reading a book about families, a student's face lit up and he said, that looks like my family. Students need windows to see that this world is much bigger than them and their experiences. A sophomore from Madison West High School, Avi Mack, also spoke advocating for understanding and compassion. Pride to me means being yourself. To this day, I wear color all the time. Um, I'm super extra, you can ask any of my friends. <laughs> and I see beautiful colors in everyone I meet. Humans are filled with so many wonderful emotions and ideas and we forget to stop and see these in each other. As a nation, we must realize the only way to grow and change for the better is to extend your compassion to others, have uncomfortable conversations with one another, stop ignorance around the issues of our community, and help fight for the rights of others. Governor Evers was the last to speak, beginning by saying he's, quote, jazzed as hell, unquote, to celebrate Pride Month. But he also emphasized that this is a month of remembrance and tireless advocacy. He is particularly concerned about recent attempts to ban books and silence LGBT stories. Just two years ago, we saw the highest number of attempted book bans in 20 decades, many of which relate directly to LGBTQ people, families, history, and the greater community Folks, this is breathtaking, obviously. 
We can't let that happen. The children's mental health crisis is still one of his priorities. This epidemic is particularly dire amongst LGBTQ youth. According to a 2022 study by the Trevor Project, a nonprofit suicide prevention organization, 44% of LGBTQ youth in Wisconsin seriously considered death by suicide in the last year, while 74% reported symptoms of anxiety and 59% reported experiencing depression. The governor promised to take action to protect the LGBTQ community. Raising the pride flag today sends a message for all those who've only ever wanted to belong, who've had to find their own family, who've never known home, you belong here. Senator Spritzer says the fight for equality under the law is still in progress. The Wisconsin Legislative LGBTQ Caucus has numerous plans for legislation in the coming months. To repeal Wisconsin's unenforceable constitutional ban on same-sex marriage, to update state statutes to use gender-neutral language to reflect LGBTQ marriages and families, to ban conversion therapy, and to prohibit discrimination based on a person's gender identity or gender expression. He is in part referencing a 2004 provision in the state constitution banning same-sex marriage, which is still on the books. The Obergefell v. Hodges ruling in the U.S. Supreme Court and the Wolf v. Walker ruling from the 7th District Circuit Court both supersede this provision. But the recent repeal of Roe v. Wade now has same-sex marriage advocates concerned. The process to formally ban same-sex marriage in Wisconsin would be long and complicated. However, local government officials who oppose marriage equality may, for example, point to the 2004 provision in order to withhold licenses. The proposal to repeal the constitutional provision could succeed in neutralizing this threat. Meanwhile, other local leaders celebrated the start of Pride Month. The Dane County Board announced a resolution to designate the county as a sanctuary for transgender and non-binary people, which they're expected to pass at their meeting tonight. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Faye Parks. Back in December, an open records request by a local media outlet unveiled the existence of a complaint against Madison Metro School District Communications Director Tim Lamonds. While Lamonds attempted to block the release of that complaint, which the district dismissed after an investigation, a judge ruled last week that the complaint had to be released. WORT producer Nate Wiggyhout has more. Late last week, a Dane County judge ordered the release of an internal complaint from the Madison Metro School District alleging bullying behavior from the district's communications director, Tim Lamonds. The complaint was submitted by three employees of the district's communications department and alleges that Lamonds had a long history of bullying and harassing employees, along with a low regard for local media. District officials investigated the allegations and found insufficient evidence of wrongdoing by Lamonds. The complaint was originally part of an open records request from NBC15 reporter Elizabeth Wattis in December of last year, asking for any emails sent or received by any school district employee containing either Wattis's name or the name of the station. When the district moved to release the complaint as part of that request, Lamonts sued the district to keep it from being released. His legal team claimed the release of the records would result in unwarranted, unfair, and irreversible public ridicule and gossip, negative public perception, and jeopardize his ability to credibly perform his duties. Lamont spoke with me yesterday about the release of the records. Even though 
this uh, complaint was found without merit uh, after a thorough investigation. I think there were 11 individuals interviewed. Everything found false. Even then, I knew that the release of this information would still be out there, would still be damaging uh, because people are going to read it. They're going to believe what they want to believe. Uh, and I'm already seeing that as uh, after the fact. Uh, there are individuals and reporters that are just choosing to ignore the fact that this complaint was found without merit. Tim Lamans adds that those comments represent himself and not MMSD. He declined to comment on the substance of the complaint. In her ruling, Dane County Judge Rhonda Lanford found that Lamans did not adequately show that protecting his reputation was as important as the public's right to know about the complaint and ordered it released immediately. Tom Kamenick is the president of the Wisconsin Transparency Project, a law firm dedicated to enforcing open records. He says that while Lamans was within his full legal right to try and stop the complaint from getting out, Judge Lanford came to the only correct decision. I think there is a really strong, important public interest in learning about these complaints that are filed against uh, government employees, even when they are found to not be substantiated or no disciplinary action is taken, because the government employer can't be trusted 100% to do their own investigations. The, The investigatory process itself needs public accountability and supervision. Lamont says that he knew that his attempt to block the complaint's release was a long shot. It didn't surprise me uh, that that was the the decision. It was the safe decision. And the school district was uh, following the law to the letter, and uh, I was exercising my legal right. And, um, you know, and the the, uh, judge, I believe, came to a decision that she believed in, and we wish it would have been different, but it is what it is. The 10-page complaint was first submitted in October of last year and outlines a years-long history of bullying and harassment, both against workers in the communications department and the press. In one incident in August, Lamans is alleged to have screamed at an employee for allowing two people under her to take a day off, one for a funeral and the other to help his son move. Lamans allegedly said that nobody should have been taking a day off the month before school started, though he did allow another communications employee to take a three-day vacation during the work week that same week. The complaint also alleges that Lamans repeatedly lied to an employee about getting a raise. The complaint says that Lamans told an employee that she would be getting a raise to match current market rates in February of last year. But when that raise never came, the employee reached out to the district's HR in May, who told her that they have no record of Lamont's asking to get her a raise. When Lamont's was made aware that the employee reached out to HR directly, he then texted another employee that he was, quote, surprised and frankly disturbed, end quote, that she would go directly to HR. One continuing theme of the complaint was the constant restructuring of the communications department, leaving people unsure who was considered their boss and who they were supposed to be supervising. The complaint also alleges that several people who left the communications department named Lamans as a direct reason for leaving. According to the complaint, one former employee said, quote, white male toxicity was ruling unchecked and it was time to get out of a toxic and abusive work environment. Another said, quote, he was immediately sexist and belittling to all the women in the department, demonstrating how little he cared about our opinions and how little he valued our work or contributions. 
The complaint also outlined a history of Lamont's hostility towards members of the media. Allegations ranged from ignoring press requests to yelling at reporters over the phone and even calling a reporter off hours to, quote, scream and yell about how terrible of a journalist she was, end quote. NBC reporter Elizabeth Wattis is named in the complaint, which is why it was included in the open records request. There, employees allege that Lamont's called Wattis a pig of a journalist and that she was quickly becoming the sleaziest journalist in Madison. NBC 15 general manager and regional vice president Don Vesley told WORT that they went to court to fight for the public's right to know and were pleased to see the records released in full. Another local journalist mentioned in the complaint was Beth Bayer, a former education reporter with the Wisconsin State Journal. Bayer told WORT that when she first began covering the district in 2020, she had a positive relationship with Lamont's. But in the summer of 2021, she says that something flipped when he became, quote, not so nice. She says that she began receiving a series of calls from Lamont's where he would yell at Bayer for doing her job. The complaint alleges that in August of last year, Lamont's told another employee that he, quote, effing hates Beth Bayer. The complaint also alleges that Lamont's claimed to get her fired from the State Journal, telling the department, quote, I basically told her editors we want her removed, end quote. During that same meeting, Lamont's allegedly asked the entire communications department to go around the room and say all the negative interactions they had with Bayer. While Bayer did leave the State Journal last year, she says that she was not in fact fired and instead gave ample notice that she had accepted a fellowship in Washington, D.C. The complaint says that Lamont said when she left that, quote, the new person, also a woman, isn't any better, end quote. An investigation into the complaint found that there was insufficient evidence that Lamont's had done anything wrong, and he says that the complaint doesn't show the full story. There's a lot in that complaint. There's a lot of context that is in there. And many of these individuals, if not all of them, were impacted by a reorganization of that department within the first year of me working here. And uh, it, it did have an impact on people, but it was something that needed to be done. We've since eliminated some positions and, you know, we're running leaner and meaner, but we're also made decisions in the best interest of the school district and being good stewards to the taxpayer. Lamont's is one of many to sue the district over records in recent memory. Over the past two years, the district has been sued at least six times over records requests, usually over how long it takes for those records to be released. Tom Kamenick is currently representing the conservative law firm, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, or Will, in one of those cases. In my experience, the, the, the Madison School District is one of the worst offenders in the state, especially when it comes to delay. Uh, they've been sued multiple times for not releasing records in a timely manner. They are taking over a year to respond to many record requests. Uh, they were called out in the media on several occasions for those delays and did not seem to be improving uh, their practices in any meaningful way. Earlier this year, the Wisconsin Freedom of Information Council, a government transparency watchdog group, awarded the school district their No Friend of Openness Award, naming the district as one of the worst public institutions in the state for public records and accountability. In a press release announcing that award, Lamont's is directly named in relation to the many lawsuits alleging violations of open record laws.
Members of the MMSD school board did not respond to a request for comment. In a public statement, the district said, quote, it is abundantly clear that there are relational problems within the district's communications department that need to be addressed, end quote. They say that they will conduct a full review of the department operations, structure, and human interactions in the coming months, and that they stand by the judge's ruling to release the complaint. In the meantime, the district says that they will continue to be fully focused on MMSD students for the last two weeks of the school year. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Nate Wuggie-Hout. Time is now 6.32, and you're listening to the local news on WORT 89.9 FM right here in Madison. I am your host, Marcus Slayton, here with fellow host Stacey Harbaugh. Thanks for joining us. This week on The House Always Wins, home remodelers and household chore nags, John and Allie, explain why it's so important to keep putting salt into the water softener, the most mysterious of home appliances. I call it housework. Cause it's light work. What you put your gun up? I'm with those sheets. Filling the base to my feet. Hello, I'm John. And I'm Allie. And welcome to The House Always Wins, a place where you can learn cool stuff about your house. We love cool stuff. And hey, talking about cool stuff, we have alluded in the past to possible projects that a homeowner could do. How about we start with a fun one? <laughs> Replacing your toilet. Woo! A lot of people put up with terrible toilets for years. Really? Yeah. So I have a friend and a while back I'm at her house and she, she's giving me a tutorial on how to properly flush the toilet. And so it starts with like a special flushing technique wow. and then the mandatory babysitting the toilet and then jiggling the handle just so, so that it doesn't run all day. Jiggling is a thing. That's you, The we, jiggling is a thing, right? Everybody talks so about that. The whole routine took like 10 minutes. Oh my God. I was so aggravated that we replaced the toilet together soon after. That whole project, including shopping, took about two hours. So if we're doing some math here, at mm. 10 minutes per flushing ritual using her old toilet, we replaced her toilet in 12 flushes. <laughs> and so although I will say this is a pretty straightforward project, there are a couple circumstances where I suggest you just call for help. Call for help. And the first one is if your toilet, uh, the area of the floor around your toilet seems spongy, it's wet, you're about to enter a world of scope creep Ooh. because that floor needs to be reinforced. And then the second uh, consideration is if it is the only toilet in your house, consider what you're going to do if this project goes sideways. Well, all this makes absolute sense. And uh, before we jump into the specifics of how to go about it, I just want to spend a brief moment uh, talking about why and what it's all about. Um, so replacing an old toilet and using what we call a low flow new toilet um, is a wonderful thing and many re for many reasons. Number one, many municipalities will actually pay you to replace your toilet. It's true. For instance, Madison Water Utility will give you a one-time $100 credit for replacing an old many gallon flush toilet with a new low flush toilet. Um, it makes sense. You pay for your water by usage and a toilet is the number one user of water in your house. Almost all toilets you can buy today are, uh, they're flushing with 1.28 gallons or less. Old toilets will use three or more gallons per flush. And when you think about it, that adds all adds up pretty quickly. So you're saving a lot of water. Uh, let's talk about how to do this. Uh, so to get started, 
uh, what you're going to need for this project. You're going to need a toilet. They usually will come with all the parts you need. They'll often come with a seat. Um, you want a wax ring and it might even come with a toilet, but you want to make sure you have a wax ring for sure. So those are the two main things you'll need to get going. All right. Uh, you're going to need a, a few tools and luckily they're fairly simple. You're going to need an adjustable wrench. You'll need a screwdriver and this is typically a slotted screwdriver or flathead screwdriver. And then we have to remove the old toilet and we're going to need for that a bucket, a sponge, and some of those long gloves, like maybe the type you would use for dishwashing. Although this pair of gloves will not be used for dishwashing. Not ever, ever again. again. That's true. All right. So now once you have everything you need, then you're going to start by removing the existing toilet. So you're going to start by shutting off the water supply. The water supply feeds the, the toilet tank. Um, and you should be able to shut that off right below the tank, just near the floor um, below the tank. So once you've shut off that water supply, you've uh, then you're going to flush the toilet. And so the water is going to drain out of there. What will happen is uh, most of the water is going to leave the tank. And, but there's still probably going to be some water left in the actual toilet bowl. Mm -hmm. So thus we're going to don our gloves and we'll use the sponge and the bucket to absorb and sort of empty out the remaining water. Anything that's left in the tank, you want to get that out of there. Anything that's left in the bowl itself, you want to get that out of there. Now you're ready to remove the toilet. Well, I'll take it from here. You've, uh, you got to disconnect that water supply line from the tank. So it's usually, it, most often it's like a big white plastic nut. Then you can remove the tank from the bowl, uh, but actually you don't really necessarily need to do that. The only thing it would do is make it a little bit lighter when you want to haul it out. But then you get down on your knees and you remove those two bolts that are on either side of the toilet and they connect uh, the toilet to the drain pipe and the thing we call a flange. So once you've got those two bolts removed, basically the toilet is loose. And all you have to do is just pick it up. Um, the best way is to actually stand right over top of it with you facing the toilet bowl and lift straight up between your legs. And at that point, the wax ring underneath will let go. And uh, you can pick it on up, pull it on out of there and take it outside. Um, great. Once you've got it out, then, uh, you now have a conduit to your sewer system. So sewer gas will start coming in your house. Yuck. So definitely stuff, uh, like a plastic grocery bag or something and kind of temporarily block that drain pipe. Um, so that you don't get all that stinky stuff in your room. So now you got the old toilet out, right? Now it's time to assess the condition of the flange and the floor around it. So you want to, first off, you want to scrape off any wax that's been stuck to the flange. Just scrape that off. You could use like a putty knife, use that flathead screwdriver, maybe mm -hmm. a little hunk of wood if you have one, something like that. Make sure the flange is intact. Some of them are made of plastic. They should generally be in pretty good condition. Some of them are made of uh, cast iron and sometimes they, they crack. If it's cracked, yeah, now you need a plumber. And so how does that floor around that flange look? Is it spongy? Is it like badly stained? Is it deteriorating? Because... Um, if you're going to put a new, new toilet in, you can't just sort of pretend like you didn't see that. But if everything looks, looks good, you're ready to go with your, your new toilet. All right. When you, you've got your new toilet sitting there and most oftentimes they have thorough directions right on there. And, um, and it'll tell you that you need to put a new wax ring on and it'll show you how, but you actually install the wax ring, um, right on the toilet itself. You set the toilet on its side, put the wax ring right around the the round part, you'll see it. When you set the toilet on its side, you'll see this three inch wide hole. You put the wax ring around that. 
So then the next thing, right before you remove the plastic bag, put the two bolts, new two new bolts in place. There's little indents that they'll slide into and they'll be right in the instructions and show you. And so you've got your wax ring on the toilet and you've got the two bolts in place. Basically what you do then is pick the toilet up carefully. And once again, the best way is kind of grabbing it behind the seat, right in front of the tank. Just kind of shuffle over there and kind of line yourself up. Have we removed the plastic bag yet? Uh, I will neither confirm nor deny that we yeah, have removed the plastic bag. Let's we can, remove make the sure, plastic bag before we start any shuffling. Right. Check. Remove plastic bag before shuffling. Um, so then you, you put the toilet over top and you carefully lower it right down onto the flange. So if you got it all done good, you know, it squishes down the wax ring. The two bolts are sticking up and you're ready to, uh, to start putting it and And with that in place, it is good to put your weight on it and to squeeze that wax ring down in place. And honestly, sitting on it is one of the best ways to do it really. Um, so once you've got that in, you want to then carefully put the nuts on and tighten them down nice and snug. Do not overdo it because the toilet is made uh, from vitreous China. So if you crank down on them too much, crack. And then once you got that in and it feels kind of solid, then you install the tank. And again, follow the instructions. It'll be right on there. It tells you which rubber gaskets go where and all the mechanical bits will hopefully already be in the tank. So it's really pretty straightforward stuff. And then once you've got that in and cranked down, you connect the water supply to the tank and turn on your water supply and check for leaks. So once you turn the water supply on, there should not be any water spraying out anywhere. If there is, then turn the water supply off, crank things down a little tighter, uh, rinse and repeat. Uh, but once you've got it on and it doesn't leak, the toilet tank will fill up, give it a flush, and it should work. Right? Absolutely. And voila, you have replaced your toilet. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you have any questions about carpentry or home improvement, then send us an email at thehousealwayswins at wortfm.org. I'm with those streets, filling the base to my feet hurt. Hey! I call it housework. Because it's light work. Sometimes the hardest part about starting a new project isn't how to start, it's if you should start. If you ask Rhonda Riccardi, her title will say retired, but free of work-related responsibilities, Riccardi is looking to the past for future projects. Well, maybe. In this episode of Radio Chipstone, contributor Jennifer Fields learns the troubled history of a family quilt and the dilemma of finishing something that someone else started. What you're looking at is the top of a quilt that my grandmother, who I'm named after, was working on in the early 1930s at the time of her death. And she died because she had three young daughters. The youngest uh, was my mother, who was seven at the time, and she found herself to be pregnant again. <sighs> and she could not feed the three daughters she had, and she attempted to terminate the pregnancy, and it cost her her life and orphaned my mother and her two sisters. This is the quilt my grandmother was working on at the time of her death. Now, my mom had given me this beautiful bright yellow material, just yards and yards of it at the time that she moved out of her house. And she said, your grandmother was working on a quilt at the time of her death. This was supposed to be the bottom of it, but if you want this material, it's yours. So I took it, I made this skirt, I made everybody in the family masks because I got it during the pandemic. So I backed it with this so everybody would have part of grandma. <laughs> um, 
And then when she and my dad were moving out of their condo into their uh, assisted living, my mom had given me another box of stuff saying, here's, you know, stuff for each of you. She has seven kids. I'm number six. And brought my box home, put it in the basement, was cleaning out the basement a few months later, opened up my box that she'd given me, and this was in it. And this is the top, this is the actual quilt top that my grandmother was making. And as you can see, these stitches are done by machine, but they were by a, a pedal machine, which I, I have not the machine, but one like it upstairs. And you see how perfect those are. First of all, all yes. of it's immaculate. I'm not a fan of math. So the amount of math and calculating she had to do to make this pattern, and then those stitches are perfect. What is this pattern called, do you know? I don't know the, the name of this pattern at all, but all these medallions you see, these are all by hand, Jennifer. She's, that's a straight up flex. by hand. That's a straight flex. Um, Can you, um, you have daughters? Yes. You gotta be working. You gotta be under incredible stress. Yes. And you're doing this by hand. Yes, and she's living on a farm just this south of the UP in Wisconsin. And she has to break the ice in the creek in the back so the cows can drink because my grandfather's off being a uh, lumberjack and she's got her three kids and she's made this beautiful quilt and and keeping the farm and trying to keep life going for everybody and I just I saw when I took this out of the box I started crying instantly because I knew what it was and I never knew that she actually had made the top of the quilts, because my mom never, my mom didn't talk about her mom a lot. She, you know, it's she was very young could, she Yeah, died. like how, and yeah. how could you? Because what you know is tragedy and painful. Yes, yeah. And that's in, just, and much as that is in your DNA, I believe there's DNA in this quilt. Yes. And I want to, I talked to my mom about using the quilt as a symbol for the importance of women keeping the right to be able to choose whether they have children or not and give birth or not. And she gave me the green light. So the next question I have for myself, because the, the decision is mine, is whether the symbol's going to be more powerful unfinished, since Rhoda, the Rhoda that made this quilt, um, will never be able to finish it. Or if I should finish it, since I am her namesake. And my mom said, Ooh, that one's up to you. So. I wasn't expecting this. Like I'm, yeah. like, like, I'm trying not to cry, and I have chills. Yes. That's a, see... Oh, yeah. so I don't know. I don't either. I don't know. Because part of me, I'm nervous about finishing it. I will tell you that I'm nervous talking about starting a project. My first step has to be whether I'm going to finish it or not, obviously. But I already used all the material that was the backing for the quilt. This because I, I got the bottom of the quilt without knowing it. I just had this yards of this yellow fabric. It's all used up. So if I finish it, I have to find a new back. My mom would tell you, she told me, that this has to be the cheapest cotton on earth because they were in, in abject poverty is what they were living in. Um, and these some of these patterns um, might have been the, remember when they, well, we wouldn't remember it, we weren't alive then, but when the flower company started making the flower sacks yes. out of printed materials. So some of these might have been from them. I brought the quilt to my mom after I found it, 
And she doesn't, unfortunately, she doesn't remember any of the fabrics that are in here or anything. Are any of her sisters still with us? Would they remember? No, her sisters were older than she was, and they are both gone. Um, and I think I'm going to talk to my oldest cousin and see if she has any memories of if, if her mom shared anything about this quilt, because uh, she's her mom would have been my mom's oldest sister, who's also my godmother. Um, but you know, and, but I hope she thought it was important enough, you know, because yeah. sometimes like this, it may have been a project that was a necessity, and maybe it was something she kind of did, and maybe she would have thought it wasn't. A big deal to talk about. Yeah. I'm making a quilt. Yeah, I'm making, yep, yep. Well, and, and my mom at the age of seven wouldn't have necessarily been in tune with she, Yeah, what she else, wouldn't you have know, known. You know, but maybe my oldest cousin has some information about any of these fabrics, or if, um, since she's the oldest cousin, maybe if there were hand-me-downs that, you know what I mean? Because uh, I don't recognize any of these fabrics no. whatsoever at all. At all. Um, but my this mom... This one's so cool. This, like, this... This red? red, yep. Well, and my mom, because my mom's a sewer, and of her five daughters, I'm the only sewer out of out of them. So my grandma was a sewer, my mom's a sewer, I'm a sewer. Um, I'm not as talented as they are by any stretch. I have, I can do straight lines. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, it's been so long since I've sewn because I learned from my mother. But then, yeah. you know, you go to college and you get cool and you're not going to be sitting around sewing. Sewing, yeah. So... I'm relearning, and I found these sheets, I should bring them to you, that are just the lines you have to follow to get your stitches Stitch back in order and figure out how to make a star and how to, I'll share some with you because yeah. it's hilarious. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Because how fast can I go? Not that fast. <laughs> yeah. So will you make, if you decide, no matter what you decide before I forget, yeah. will you use the old pedal sewing machine or will you use a new I'm sewing machine? I'm going to try it because I know it works. I mean, I have never made anything on it, but I, I got it up out of its case because it's, it's still in its old wooden case. Um, and I got that the, it, the machine works. So if it works, I will do that because that will be exactly what she used to sew these panels, you know, these squares together. Not the same machine, of course, but one like it. But then, if, like, I have so many questions, and I don't even know where to start with the questions. So if you decide to finish it, yeah. would it be... Would it be to signify the time passage of when she did this to now? You know what I mean? Would yes. you somehow bridge that? Yes. I, I think if I were to finish it, it would be selfish on my part because it, it would be my hand combining with my grandmother's, you know. Um, and I think it's a stronger symbol if I do decide to go, you know, to, to um, become a little more ad, uh, active. I think it's probably going to be more powerful unfinished. And that's a wrap for WORT's live local news at six. Your headline writer this evening was Peter Voller. Your script editor was Russ Mackey. Your reporter tonight was Faye Parks. Special thanks to feature contributors John Stephanie and Ali Barini and Jennifer Fields. Dylan Brogan engineered the news. And your fundraisers were Ken, F Ken Fenton and your producer Nate Wiggyhout. Ms. Shiley Pittman is the news director here at WORT. Thank you guys for listening and pledging. I am your host, Marcus Slayton. 
And I'm your host, Stacey Harbaugh. Thank you so much for your support for Community Radio. Up next is the Perpetual Notion Machine. Thanks for listening. Good night.